check real quick. Okay. I'm kind of scrapping things together because GarageBand isn't working well right now, but I think okay. I can make it work. Okay. Uh, so can you just like say something real quick and then I'll play it back. Hello, my name is Matt. Here to talk y'all. Hello and welcome to the pod. This is Seamus O'Hara with 304's podcast. It is the Sunday, December 16th. I think I got that right. Um, and I'm talking to one of the oldest friends of the pod we have, uh, Matt Krager. He recently completed one year of a Fulbright Fellowship in uh, Coritiba, Paraná, Brazil. And uh, he taught English at a federal technical university. And he enjoyed it so much that he's going back for a second stint with the Fulbright Fellowship, again, to mentor English yeah. teacher. Okay, yeah. so he's here to talk about, I guess, something somewhat related, but not really related to any of his day-to-day work. He's going to talk to us about the recent election in Brazil and the cast of characters that was. Uh, so, Matt, hello. Welcome back to the pod. Thanks. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be back. We're excited to have you back, as always. Um, so, do you want to like just start with the some of the key figures, like the people that were involved in this election, to give people yeah, some name recognition? Sure. Yeah. So um, it was a really interesting year in Brazil to live there. <laughs> um, you had the World Cup happening, and then the presidential elections. Um, so the this political system in Brazil works. Uh, relatively similar to what we have with the elections every four years for president. Um, and the government's also set up in a similar way with the three branches. Um, so this year was particularly interesting uh, because it's the first election uh, since the impeachment the impeachment of Brazil's last elected president, who was Dilma Rousseff. I believe, um, I believe this is the first election post-impeachment. Yes. Um, and it yeah. was really important um for a variety of issues. Brazil is in a pretty bad economic crisis right now. Um, There's crises in various cities throughout the country in regard to safety. Um, And it really resulted in an interesting cast of characters, as you mentioned. Um, And it really boiled down to two main political figures throughout the whole year. It changed towards the end. But in the beginning, you were looking at a race kind of between two main candidates in um, Lula, who is a former president of Brazil, who did work to bring, I believe, about 36 million people out of poverty. Yeah. And you were looking at his main opposition. Um, eventually, Lula wasn't able to run. We can talk about why. Oh, later. yeah. There's there's an interesting reason behind that. <laughs> there is an interesting reason. Yeah. And then um, the main opponent who won and who will become Brazil's president in this upcoming year is Jair Bolsonaro. Uh, I don't. I don't remember his parties, and political parties get a little bit more difficult in Brazil. There aren't two main political parties, so it's difficult to remember the names. Yeah. But he ran on a platform of essentially. Um, why am I forgetting the word for? Um, I mean, just like in a similar. He's a, Trump, a candidate that reminds a lot of people of Donald Trump. So he ran yeah. on a campaign of a lot of hatred. Um, he had a lot of really re- loud rhetoric. 
Um, and he is looking to make some pretty serious, scary changes in Brazil that look to not only change life for people, but also kind of threaten the state of Brazil's democracy, which is hundreds of years younger and much more unstable than ours is in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I remember the most is that he, maybe what kind of separates him from Trump, so first of all, he says offensive shit and doesn't really care, and, like, people like his honesty on issues, like, that's the feather in the cap way of putting it. Um, He also ran a very web-based campaign, uh, which is kind of similar to how Trump relied on social media platforms to get his uh, stuff out there, but he's, like, really putting a lot of powers into the military and police, if I'm remembering correctly, and, like, that's how he wants to crack down on uh, Brazil's crime, which I I think the murder rate is higher than any other year this past year, so it... Yeah, and and, um, it's one of the highest in the world Mm -hmm. of... The, you know, the country's economically, it's part of the category mm-hmm. that it's part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so Bolsonaro is from Rio de Janeiro, Rio. Um, so he, Rio has experienced since the Olympics and the World Cup kind of a decline in public safety, just the quality of the city. And you'll hear a lot of Brazilians talk about how scary that is and how strange and odd it is. And people who visit and go back now even notice that difference. I've only known Rio in this year, um, Mm -hmm. so I can't speak to that. But so where he's from is kind of a great example of like the larger idea in Brazil in general, right? People are seeing like these cities become less safe and he's appealing to that rhetoric of, you know, trying to want to increase safety, but he's, he's talking about it in a very hateful way. And so if you were going to compare it to something in the U S even though the situations aren't, aren't great to compare one another to, I don't think it's kind of, you know, similar rhetoric about protecting our cities or something from immigrants, right. And Mm -hmm. people come country um but yeah he wants to take some pretty drastic measures to increase safety in brazil and one of them is making it a lot easier for people to buy firearms it's incredibly difficult in brazil for regular citizens right now to own firearms Mm -hmm. Um, but he's trying to he believes public safety will be increased by more people being able to own guns Mm. Uh, i haven't heard that argument before but it seems to be working out well here in america so i think they should just (laughs) adapt our model Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he he wants to give the police the ability to like shoot suspected criminals, like and just take away the whole idea of due process before um, treating someone with lethal force. That's just something I remember reading in that Guardian. No, whichever article you sent, the New York Times article you sent me. He, yeah. yeah. That was something that he uh, talked about. Um, right. So that's the winner. Um, Let's talk about the other candidate that lost, because that, that has, like, another interesting narrative yeah. as well. So there, so there's Lula, and then there's his successor, uh, Haddad, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so they both have interesting stories, if you want to fill us in about that. Yeah, yeah. So to, to, to understand the other side of this equation, it's important to kind of know the history of the, the PT, as we would say, Partido Trabalhador, so the Workers' Party. Mm-hmm. Um, And the Workers' Party came to power, I believe, with Lula's presidency in Mm -hmm. 2002 when he was elected. Mm -hmm. Um, And what the Workers' Party did was really 
bring a lot of people out of poverty. And um, it's it's even more to the left, I would say, than what our most leftist ideas are sometimes I mean, in the U.S. Haddad himself is like a student of Marxism. Like he wrote yeah. his doctoral thesis on Marxism. So, yeah, I mean, something that's like a taboo word here in America was his doctoral thesis. So yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah, that's yeah. so interesting. Um, so Lula did a lot to bring the country out of poverty, and he's a beloved figure in Brazil mm-hmm. um, among you know liberal circles. People really idolize him and were really excited about his candidacy again. The problem is that the, the PT um, has been plagued kind of by what is known as, in English, Operation Car Wash, mm-hmm. or in Portuguese, it'd be Lava Jato, mm-hmm. which is an effort to kind of wring the government free of corruption, which <laughs> the Brazilian government government is just really kind of like chock full of um, corrupt figures left and right and a lot of different scandals. So it, essentially, Lula was eventually charged in this investigation that actually his own party had um, instigated within the government and was actually the investigation partially that um, got Gioma, the couple uh, presidents ago, impeached. Mm-hmm. Um but essentially, Lula um, was running for president, even though he was under investigation and charged with financial crimes and corruption. I mean, he was um, in a jail I, cell. Yeah, he was in. He was. He you know was running for president from jail, which is not historically a great way to win an election. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, but there were people who were ready to vote for him still, um, and people wanted him to be a candidate still, and were saying, you know, it's not democratic if Lula isn't allowed to be on the ballot. We want him there. Mm-hmm. People were also really upset because the, the crime he got taken down for eventually was, um, I believe it was accepting like a beachside apartment from one of the companies or people who was trying to influence him. Mm. Which is bad, but yeah. in terms of um, crimes that other people have been going down for in Operation Car Wash, it was a really pretty low level thing, if you can believe it. Um, so people are upset that he seems to be targeted. Gilma seemed to have been targeted, and it's now largely seen in some ways as like a, a, a very political act. Yeah, I wonder if we can like talk about this for a bit, especially since you're interacting with a lot of Brazilians on a day-to-day basis, so you can mm-hmm. maybe give their read of things, but in, in general, do people believe that this is, well, I guess people probably don't believe this is a one-off instance of corruption in the Brazilian government, and so mm-hmm. kind of how in America your perception of these charges that have been coming out um, break down along party lines if it's a partisan hit job or if it's a legitimate charge. Mm-hmm. Is, is that how sentiment breaks down in Brazil? Like, people who are pro-Lula think that this is, he's being taken out as a statement and, like, he's not as guilty as some other people? Or, I, I don't know, like, how, how does the sentiment yeah. break down? I see what you're saying. No, that's a good question. And actually, it divides even further beyond that. There are people who, you know, recognize what Lula did, but they're willing to forget um, the bad things in favor of the good things. Mm-hmm. There are people who love Lula and love what he did, but mm-hmm. are never willing to accept corruption and really think that they need to um, weed that out, right? Mm-hmm. And so they voted for Bolsonaro. In the end, I have friends who have done that, who have said that to me, that, you know, it, it's we hear, we heard a lot of things from similar people in the U.S. after mm-hmm. Trump was elected, right? I, I couldn't vote for Hillary. She was a criminal, as, mm-hmm. as they said. Yeah. Um, 
so I, I wasn't happy about it, but I voted for Trump. And you had people doing a lot of the same stuff in Brazil, and I heard very similar sentiments around that. And then, yeah, you just have people who are, are just completely against corruption, and that's exactly why they'd vote for Bolsonaro, because he says he's going to change that. And so going with that, how much, especially in these people that are anti-corruption, how much do they blame like the corruption of the Workers' Party for the economic downturn in Brazil? Because like you said, Lula brought millions of people out of poverty, um, yeah. but at the same time, in this same span that the Workers' Party has held power in the presidency, there's now been the worst economic recession in Brazil. Do they blame that on Workers' Party policy or like the corrupt practices of the Workers' Party? Yeah, they, they essentially, opposition essentially blames everything on the, the PT, the, the, the Workers' Party, mm-hmm. um, because they were in power, right? And, and mm-hmm. it's, it's similar things where with, oh, the, the, the economy is great right now in the U.S. because of... Is it because of Donald Trump or is it because of things that President Obama implemented when he was in power, right? And so it's this trickle-down effect. Um, And yeah, the the PT um, perpetuated a lot of it, right? But some people are saying, well, it was all in the name of, you know, bettering Brazil and bringing people out of poverty. It really is a sticky mess and it's really hard to navigate and understand and, and have an opinion on. And it's very dangerous to have an opinion on as someone not from Brazil, not mm-hmm. not in the sense of my own my personal safety, but you know, it's very difficult to to live in Brazil as a U.S. citizen and have an opinion because I can't talk, I don't understand it, mm-hmm. and also I live in a country that has um, been quite imperialist at times. So I, you know, yeah. you, you have to be careful with the way um, that you approach talking about this and have an opinion on it. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And in a way, that that's good because it just makes you have to listen when you can't talk. So yeah, it exactly. helps you gather all this information on both sides about what people are thinking. But yeah, no, it, yeah. everything I've read, it's like, okay, so there's no real pure actors here. Everyone has their hands dirty in something. And so it's just a matter of which side you want to pick, which, especially as a foreigner, can be tough. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you would. Sorry, you would ask me to talk about um, Fernando Haddad as well. And so yeah. he, he, I, he was running as Lula's vice president and was eventually then, you know, risen to the, the post of presidential candidate with, mm-hmm. I believe, just like six weeks left mm-hmm. to, ca- to campaign and really make it his own. Yeah. So he is a highly qualified candidate, was a former mayor of Sao Paulo, which is the biggest city in the Western Hemisphere. Um, He has both a master's and PhD in, um, I forget exactly what that is, but you you mentioned he studies like Marxist theory and and thought. And um, so a highly qualified candidate, really focused on education, but again, part of part of the Workers' Party. So Mm -hmm. there are people who... I I think he was the education minister as well. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. He was minister of education at one point as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So really, really qualified, really successful individual, but was never actually willing to distance himself from Lula and th- that past of the Workers' Party. So in, in many ways, he didn't have a chance for some people because of that. He never did anything to distance himself from that corruption and was still actually, up until the very end, a very good friend of Lula visited him in jail. He's his was, lawyer. Was, He's like, representing Lula. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I guess he was, right? <sighs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have a hard time um, when that's the case. Uh, but I don't know. It seems like from the reading that you sent me, it's kind of like a devil's bargain because some people are so in love with Lula. They're like, whoever Lula says to vote for, 
I will vote for. And so, like, Absolutely. having Lula's blessing gets him a large portion of votes, but then yes. he's also sacrificing other votes for people that are like, I don't want to have anything to do with Lula, and if he's working for Lula, then I'm not exactly. going to mess with him. So do you think that was a good strategy in the end from what you've seen? I mean, like, we know the end game, but, like... I, I think... Oh, that's a, that's a good question. It, it's so difficult to tell because what um, what some people might not know is in, in Brazil, presidential elections work on like a two round system. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's an initial election in which I don't know this year, maybe like 16 candidates ran. Mm-hmm. So um, and there's always a runoff between the two highest polling candidates, unless one of them gets above 50% in the first round. Um, Bolsonaro got 46% in the first round, Haddad got 29. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you have that problem because perhaps in the second round, they could have attracted the votes of some of the other candidates, right? People who are voting for some of the other candidates. Had they not stuck to Lula, had they been a bit broader i'm not i'm not really sure right Mm -hmm. or you stick to your base and try to energize those people even more and get them to recommit um and brazil is is really splintered in that way so the the northeast of the country which is generally it's the area we associate with the typical stereotypes in the u.s of brazil the Mm -hmm. beaches um samba soccer things like that whereas the south which is where i live is Mm -hmm. um much more, it's more economically developed, it's more cities, it's cold, it's not the typical Brazil you always imagine, Mm -hmm. and it's much more conservative, and then the Northeast is much more, um, much more liberal, and that's Mm -hmm. the area that was really impacted and helped by the the Workers' Party, and they did a lot to try to elect Lula this year, I'm I'm sorry, um, Haddad this year, and get Mm -hmm. PT in power, and they really wanted PT because of all the work that they've done for them, whereas liberals in the south, in the southeast of Brazil, were turning more towards a candidate named Ciro, um, who, I forget his party, but he only got about 12% Mm -hmm. in that first round, so Bolsonaro's opposition was really splintered, which I think kind of just set things up for failure from the beginning. Yeah, and the other thing that's different about Brazil than, say, America... So in America, you can have this strategy of energizing the base because those are your most likely voters. In Brazil, it's mandatory voting. It is. So those marginal voters are much more important than in America. And in America, a marginal voter can, like, just not vote, and then it doesn't really... It benefits the people that are energizing their base more, but that that strategy doesn't work in Brazil. So it's interesting. It is. It's funny, we have an Australian person in our cohort, and he was talking about how Australia is like one of the few countries to do mandatory voting, and didn't mention Brazil, so I think he's unaware uh, of you this. You'll have to let him know now. <laughs> yeah, I'll let him know. Yeah. It's cool. Uh, how's election day? I mean, so first of all, it happens on a Sunday, which yeah. is an improvement on what we have in America. What was election day like first and second round while you were there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so first round election, actually, very interestingly, I was in the capital. I was in Brasilia on election mm. day. It was kind of, it was very weird. Um, so people, like you said, it's on a Sunday, so all people are able to participate since it is mandatory. Um, and people go to their various polling places. 
throughout the day and then they they get their results at night right just like mm-hmm. we do they sit around and they watch them come out um interestingly you're not allowed to buy alcohol on election day in brazil at certain places it's, yeah. it's generally like prohibited so that people can't uh, my friends and i we couldn't decide if it was because and i guess they could have googled it whether it was because like to make sure you actually go and vote or whether it was to make sure you didn't do anything crazy after you voted um, well, so I, I don't know. I just read a George Washington's biography, and apparently he like patronized a lot of potential voters by buying them all drinks and then saying, "Go vote for George Washington." Oh, really? So it could be so that politicians don't bribe people with alcohol. It's like it could be. Oh, if I'm gonna vote for someone, be. buy for someone who's buying the bar. But yeah, anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. Continue. And it, and it is interesting because there are a lot of rules around campaigning in Brazil, as there are in the U.S. Like how close you can't campaign on election day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was odd, you know, people are going about their daily business, um, kind of just like it would happen here, right? And then the results are revealed late at night. But it did feel very tense, mm-hmm. um, the first round. And then the second round was a completely different story. Um, it, it was, it was that was a harrowing day for me, I think, um, just to observe my, my friends and the reaction. So I went to a watch party um, with some friends to watch the results. It didn't go well. Mm-hmm. Um for our group of friends, right? We, we were rooting for Haddad. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my city, people were setting off fireworks. There were people kind of rioting in the streets. Um, for several hours afterwards, people were really, really excited because uh, I live in a very... My city voted, I think, about 80% Bolsonaro. So that was... It was pretty rambunctious. And the same rules applied, right? Like, you couldn't buy alcohol. There was rules. Even though I think we did somehow buy alcohol that day. I don't remember. You can just buy it the day before. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but we got it. Yeah. Uh, And it it, it was horrible just to see how upset people were Um, and, and to see how excited some other people were, right, and how, how divided things were. And it reminded me of our election night, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they're not similar, but we had similar reactions. Um, and it really took me back to that moment. And it wasn't really fun to live through a second time in an even more high-stakes environment. Yeah. Uh, so what, what makes it more high-stakes, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I, I think this is one of the most important things for us as U.S. citizens to understand when we look at Brazil's political climate is a lot of people like to say that Bolsonaro is the is the Trump candidate, which, you know, is an, is an easy equation to make. But the, the truth is that he's just so much it's so much scarier. The things he said are so much worse. Um, and he said them in an environment that is even riskier. Mm-hmm. So Brazil's democracy is only about 30 years old. Right. And he's he's alluded to the fact that he believes in the military dictatorship. He wants to bring the dictatorship back. He said that Brazil should have killed more people in the first dictatorship. Just really terrible things that that could actually come to fruition and that are really scary. And there are ways for the president in Brazil to finagle more power than our president in the U.S. is able is able to get. And so they're they're different men and in different contexts. And that's really important for us all to understand. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's different situations. So, I mean, Trump likes to rag on the economy and criminality of inner cities, but we've had steady decreases in crime rates in America and in a decrease mm-hmm. in unemployment and workers' wages are stagnant. But overall, the economy has been recovering since the recession of 07. And so he's been handed a relatively good bill of goods when he stepped into mm-hmm. office, the relatively happy country. Uh, that's not the case in Brazil. And that makes mm-hmm. things more risky when it comes to 
a figurehead seizing powers. Yeah, so mm-hmm. just to put that Absolutely. into context. Yeah. So in that whole conversation, we forgot to mention that one of the presidential candidates was stabbed. Do you want to quickly give that story? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, this is really interesting. And I actually, I actually like missed it in the news myself when it happened. And I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure how that, um, you know, got past me. Um, but yeah, so um, Bolsonaro was at a rally, I believe, in um, Minas Gerais. I think that was the state he was in. And uh, he was he was stabbed by um, by somebody um, at that rally. Being, and he, it was quite severe. I mm-hmm. believe it cut through his abdomen and like in, mm-hmm. into several of his organs. So it was, it yeah. was a big deal, right? Like it wasn't just an attempt. It was, it, it was a big deal. He lost a lot of blood. Um, because of that stabbing though, he missed the remainder of the presidential debates, mm-hmm. which people were really upset about. Right. And, but also his supporters really like rallied around him. People really mm-hmm. rallied around him after that moment. And it actually elevated him a lot in the polls. Mm-hmm. So, um, it had kind of the opposite effect, right. Of, whoever the crazy person was, um, who, who went after that plan. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but really the thing that I saw the most was just the, you know, it was a couple weeks after and he wasn't able to, to debate and wasn't going to debate. And so these debates were canceled. Um, I think that was really the biggest impact because I think people thought that Haddad would have done a really great job against Bolsonaro in different debates. So it was kind of unfortunate that that never happened and that, we didn't get to see that, right, and how that would have impacted things. Yeah, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just, like, going off these character profiles that you sent me. It seems like Bolsonaro seems to thrive off of, like, social media, communication with voters, and, like, seems to have a very charismatic presentation um, in those sort of situations in these rallies, whereas Haddad... He's often painted as, like, the cerebral professor that maybe doesn't connect with people one-on-one as well. And, I mean, one, does that match what you saw during this election campaign? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that matches. Um, yeah, Bolsonaro used a lot of Facebook Live, actually, mm-hmm. and a lot of Facebook videos and posting to reach people. And, it, and because he took that less formal approach i think he said a lot more polarizing terrible things right you know because he was on this informal platform of facebook and it was just what a lot of his supporters wanted to hear right whereas haddad haddad still had a really coordinated campaign i thought personally mm-hmm. um as a campaign expert no, i'm kidding mm-hmm. um but uh yeah he, he's a lot more formal a lot more reserved people would say and wasn't necessarily firing people up but I think the, the people who wanted to be fired up and were going to get fired up in the way that they did were Bolsonaro supporters. I think they wanted to be upset and angry with their situation. And, you know, they did. And it, it's it's worth mentioning, too, you know, like Bolsonaro supporters aren't only right. You, you have people who said this is our only option. This is who I'm voting for. But you also have people like a lot of racist people, a lot of mm-hmm. homophobic people, people um, voted for Bolsonaro because yeah. of where they feel like things are headed. Right. Which also sounds familiar right mm-hmm. um so there are like i said some things that are common yeah how, how overt was his homophobic speech like I, i'm just getting like I, I don't like actual clips of him saying anything so if you just want to give like people examples of what he was saying 
Yeah, it's quite terrible, and it's horrifying, and I think the LGBT community is one that felt the least safe after, Mm. uh, as this was going on, right, with the Mm. prospect of him becoming president. So he said that he would rather, the, the classic quotation is he said that he would rather his son die in a car accident than come home and tell him he was gay, right? And so... A lot of people's fears, too, and even me, as, an, as a U.S. citizen living in Brazil, I, I worry about this a little, right, is he's talked about, um, you know, increasing police presence in the streets, having more people around. Mm-hmm. So one thing people are worried about, rightfully so, is who those police people are going to be targeting, right? So if you see flamboyantly gay people in the street, are, are you at risk? Like, mm-hmm. are, now are you at risk? Do you have to watch your behavior? Do you have to adapt who you are? And there have been instances where it's not only the, it's not necessarily the police doing this, but even just Bolsonaro supporters will attack people um, mm. for the way they're dressed, or you know, people feel empowered to act and believe certain things now after this election, which I, th- I think again is is similar to what happened here. One of the mm-hmm. scariest things about what's happened. Yeah, and just thinking about that, I mean. There's been people who feel emboldened to act out with these terrible tendencies, but at the same time, America has this infrastructure of activist groups that can call out this behavior. So there's a lot of reporting from groups like ProPublica, and there's the American Civil Liberties Union and the Anti-Defamation League and mm-hmm. other civil groups that have been put together to call out these acts and take legal action Mm-hmm. and protect people. Does Brazil have any infrastructure like that, or is it too young and undeveloped to have something That's like that? That's a good question, and unfortunately, I don't believe I know the answers. There's a lot of things in place like we have here in the U.S. They just don't always work at the same rate of efficiency mm-hmm. um, that our organizations do. That's a good question, and I don't know the answer. Okay. So I don't want to say anything that would be wrong and potentially slanderous on my country I live in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, well, yeah, I, I was just curious because... Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, that's what people always are concerned with, is, like, is there an infrastructure that can survive the stress test of others' worst tendencies? And I don't know. I think we're doing all right here in America. Not 100%. A couple Bs and Cs, but a lot of people are yeah. still passing. Um, but, yeah, I was just curious if it was all the same. But Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, um, I'm I'm kind of uh, running low on questions. Is there anything else you'd want to fill us in about this election? I'm trying to think here. There's so much that's in, important because you know it's part <laughs> of a wave of things happening around the world. Yeah, I just, I just I think it's you know worth noting how unstoppable that wave feels at times, right? Like we even back in. I don't know when I when I first moved to Brazil, and within the first couple of months, you know, May, hearing about this candidate, you just felt like it was going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, and it was one of those things where it's like I just watched this happen in my country. Like, I'm pretty sure we might be headed here again too, which in some ways, for some people, say right is like settling. They're like, oh, it's it's natural. It's a wave. It's going to pass like all others do. But in other ways, it's kind of like okay, we can't stop it. It's even more terrifying. You know? Yeah. I, I don't, it's, it's tough, especially with such a young democracy, you're more concerned. I don't know, yeah. maybe it's, it's the way I feel about America, but I feel like it, that 
we we have such an old constitutional democracy that we can eventually rebound and rebuild but right. you just kind of hope a more extreme figure like bolsonaro doesn't fracture what is already fragile yeah and i've heard some really cool things come from brazilians and i i never want to stereotype right mm-hmm. because you you don't but if, if we're going to hold one stereotype as U.S. citizens of Brazilians, it should be that they're very resilient people, mm-hmm. optimistic, and, like, know, know how to deal with horrible things happening in a way that, like, relieves stress, in a way that, like, propels you forward. And I've heard people rally around that idea and say, like, we are Brazilians. Like, if we know how to do anything, it's, like, find a way and make things better and, like, find a way to joke about it until it gets better. So I've heard some positivity in that way, and that's allowed me to to be more positive about it too which is really cool has that helped you decide to continue with a second year of your fellowship yeah it's a great question so i found out i was coming back right before the first election and then i kind of watched everything unfold as i went through the process of deciding if i would come back or not and you know it never I worried about it, but it never crossed my mind, right? I always try to remember my privilege in being a U.S. citizen. I can leave the country at any time if I need. But it also reminds me of the importance of, like, listening skills because it's not – you know, it's a bad situation, but it would be wrong for me to go there and, like, complain about it in front of my Brazilian friends, right? I I should listen and just recognize the differences between our country and theirs and, like, be a support system if I can and if that's what they want. Did they, like, talk to you at all about – our election as they were going through this process either before or during yeah I, a lot of them do and but i think a lot of them recognize how different it is right and how how unique the situations are um so that that was another interesting thing to recognize that and, and to see that okay yeah well i don't know I, I think it's good to end on a note about the resilience of the brazilian people yeah, positivity positivity yep. American yeah. Brazilian fellowship that you are bringing, which yeah. I guess is part of the purpose of organizations like the Fulbright Fellowship to send Americans abroad and build fellowship. And what is what is the like mission statement of the Fulbright Fellowship? If you don't yeah, yeah. So we're supposed to go to Brazil, right, and teach about the U.S. U.S. culture, teach language, mm-hmm. um, and and then we're supposed to come back to the U.S. and share about Brazilian culture, which Perfect. we're doing right now, fulfilling the mission. Perfect. Perfect. Send them a link I mean, to this it, podcast and uh, say fulfilled. Check. There we go. Yeah, I'll send them the link to my boss. Um, but there, there, and there's a whole lot of considerations that go along with that, right? Like people say, like teaching English is by nature, you know, enforcing like hegemony. Is some people have opinions like that. So part of part of the job is to be sensitive to that and to mm-hmm. be careful about the way you you comport yourself as a U.S. citizen, because we do have a great deal of privilege. We have a great deal of and we have a great deal of responsibility to be careful with that. So. Mm-hmm sticky but it's fun to navigate (laughs) fun to navigate all right that's a good way to put together uh u.s privilege i like it yeah all right matt if you just want to say goodbye to listeners we can sign off and send everyone on their merry way yeah muito obrigado gente everybody come visit brazil please thanks for listening and take time to research this topic more it's worthwhile oh thank you and how do you say stay hungry, stay foolish in Brazilian? Gosh, I don't know. I'll, I'll write one for you and you can say it on the next one. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to look into that. All right. Well, for Matt Krager, this is Seamus O'Hara wishing you all uh, happy holidays. And remember, stay hungry, stay foolish. Ooh.